After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know what it, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. my preaching jacket on. Jesus Christ, having conquered sin and death, having personally carried the evils of humanity down into hell, having ensured an eternal existence, immortality for anyone who wants it, is now taking a victory lap, or at the very least putting on one heck of a farewell tour. Uh, Mary arrives at the tomb. Surprise! The disciples are huddled, gone into hiding. Jesus comes in. Was that door locked? Thomas, great to see you. High five! And in our reading this morning, we find the disciples um, hanging around together. They had not yet received their holy orders. 
They were unsure of what to do next. Perhaps they wondered if there would be any additional encore performances, or was this or that the last time they would really see Jesus? Can you imagine just that emotional roller coaster of having given up your entire life to follow someone who became an enemy of the state and was brutally murdered? And then to know that even by association, you too could find yourself jailed or crucified. And here now, back from the dead, Jesus Christ is popping in and out to tell you a few extra things. Mercy. So on this particular day, there's Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, a few others, probably Philip and Andrew, having returned to their home region uh, by the Sea of Galilee. I know it's confusing, but the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, and the Sea of Tiberias are all the same body of water, depending on which city you're standing in or the local communities. Is it a hollow or a holler? Uh, that's how they refer to this body of water. But anyways, the disciples are sitting around. They're unsure of what to do next. Remember, they've been cooped up. They've been hiding for fear of the Jews. They've been laying low, keeping their heads down. Well, Peter's had enough. I am going fishing. The other disciples, probably encouraged by that, were like, yeah, we're coming too. Let's go fishing. We, we know how to do that. So they get into a boat. Whose boat? We don't know. Remember, they had dropped their nets. They had dropped everything to follow Jesus. But again, this is their home turf. So they were probably able to borrow someone's boat, a few nets. They fish all night, catching nothing. Surely the irony is not lost on them that they have been here before. This is exactly what had happened and exactly how they were when Jesus had first called to them. Cold. Wet, tired, hungry, poor, and lacking any sense of a greater purpose. But since our God is a reconciling God, a God who sees all things to completion, a God who closes every circle, Jesus arrives with the dawn. Jesus calls out to them, Children, have you caught any fish? Well, maybe this set them back being called children by some dude they can't even really see clearly. Perhaps they thought Jesus was just another person who had come to the shore and was waiting to buy fish from them. And so the lack of food, plus the lack of profit that they might have had, is now weighed down doubly hard, and you can feel the frustration of their single word response. You can connect to their frustration and annoyance. No. But as we learned last week, God is closer than you think. So upon hearing their reply from the boat, Jesus, in what I believe to be a keen example of God's sense of humor, calls out again, Why don't you try fishing on the right side of the boat? And so I can imagine, through all of this, the disciples are laying kind of halfway asleep. They've been fishing all night. They're tired. They're not dealing with this crazy man on the shore. And all of a sudden, the right side of the boat, and I can see the eyes popping open. This sounds familiar. We have been here before. They look up. They start looking at each other. The neurons begin firing in their brains. And slowly, the realization of who that is and what is about to happen sets in. 
The nets go over the side of the boat. And again, just like before, the catch is so large that they can't even pull it back up into the boat. John maybe moves to where Peter is still sleeping. Peter, not fully awake, maybe not fully with it. John goes over, shakes him awake. Peter, it's Jesus. And Peter, Peter, who has been here before, Peter sees love incarnate again, beckoning to him from across the water. And Peter cannot, will not be held back because Peter knows who Christ is. Peter knows the Christ of abundance, the Christ who feeds thousands. Peter knows the Christ who fishes for men, who heals the sick, restores sight to the blind and brings the dead back to life. And so for the second time, on the same body of water, Peter gets out of the boat. But this is not as before. When Jesus was walking upon the water and called Peter out to him, there was fear, anxiety, trepidation. Slowly and unsure of himself, Peter eased out of the boat. But not so this morning. No. On this morning, Peter jumps out of the boat. And by golly, running on the water, walking on the water, or swimming, he is getting to Jesus. It is good to have faith like Peter. A heart for Christ that pulls you out of the boat. But it is also good that the other disciples stayed in the boat to help bring the fish to shore. Everyone comes to Christ in their own time. Some are filled with great passion and zeal like Peter, while others tend mindfully to the duties and necessary tasks. But as we will read, they will all sit down together to the same meal together. When they had gone ashore, they saw a fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, helped haul the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come, come and eat. Come and have breakfast. Jesus was making breakfast. A fire with fish and bread already cooking. No one asked where Jesus got the food. They knew him. They have been here before. This is the Lord. His voice can quiet the storm. His voice can turn stones into bread. It was his voice that placed the very stars into being. Surely he can talk a few fish up out of the lake and onto the grill. Jesus told them, oh, and bring some of the fish that you have just caught. He said this because Christ knows that we all have something to offer. This was a shared meal. The catch of fish was so great that they had to count them before eating, 153. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Because remember, it's probably not their net. God is not going to ruin other people's stuff to help you out. And Jesus served them breakfast. Verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and did the same with the fish and they ate together. The risen Christ 
filled with the full power and authority of God, again takes on the role of a servant. The living Christ, eating food, not a heavenly being with no need of earthly things, but a living body with breathing lungs and a beating heart, eats and drinks with the sons of men. And lastly, the reconciling Christ, the completed work of God's boundless love, who has one final circle to close. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon? Who? Who is Simon? Simon? Why did Jesus call him Simon? Oh, mercy. That must have stung real deep. But Peter knew this was coming. Peter had denied Jesus three times. And now twice, if not thrice, they had seen each other. They had communicated. Peter had seen Jesus. And Jesus has not yet said a word to Peter about this denial. And so it is safe to assume that Peter, the most zealous of all the disciples, was full of doubts about where he stood with Jesus. Perhaps hoping for the best, knowing that he had in the past received favor from Jesus, but also holding on to fear because he knew from experience, get behind me, Satan, knew from experience that he is not above rebuke. So now Jesus lays it all out in the sand and in doing so calls Peter by his former name, Simon. Jesus is reminding Peter of his undue advancement and putting him back in his proper place. Peter, once again, needed to have his privilege checked. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Perhaps Jesus was, was gesturing to the nets and the fish, the former life that he knew. Or perhaps Jesus was gesturing to the other disciples, James, John, his brother Andrew, his closest friends. The point is clear, though. Jesus must be first. No matter who you love or what you love, if you're not putting Jesus first, you're probably doing it wrong. So Peter answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. And a second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And tend is not the best word. The Greek word there is poimeni. And a more direct translation for that is to assume the role of the shepherd. Jesus is telling Peter to pick up where he is leaving off. Feed the lambs, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Seek them and feed them. And also the other sheep. The other sheep which are not yet a part of this fold. This is what they've been waiting for. These are their holy orders. Take on the role of the shepherd. And if you're interested, there's more info on what that entails in John chapter 10, where it talks about Christ the good shepherd. That's what he's telling Peter to do. But back to breakfast. Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, 
began to feel hurt because this was the third time that Jesus had asked, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. And Jesus said to him, do I? (laughs) Feed my sheep. Now take note. This is Jesus who is speaking. This is the one who was dejected and despised. The one who was spat on. The one who was stabbed and wounded. This was the Jesus who wore a crown of thorns and was nailed to a cross. This same Jesus, the one whose only earthly concern was to announce the unconditional love of God, asks but a single question. Do you love me? The question is not, what were you thinking? Do you promise never to mess up again? How many souls do you think you can save, Simon? Where will you stay? What will you eat? How could you mess up so badly? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. In this moment, Peter, Simon Peter, the apostle to the apostles, the rock upon which Christ will build the church, the first to proclaim the gospel at Pentecost, the first to carry Christ's message to the Gentiles, was asked only one question. From everything written and explained about their relationship, it is clear that Peter knew Jesus. But the question now is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than these? These things, these people? They are secondary loves. They are not the love that has reached out from across the cosmos. They are but broken reflections of God's prevenient grace that has loved you from before time began. And so Jesus asks again and again and again, do you love me? If there is any future for the church, for this church and the church universal, it is going to be one of a people who continually dwell in the presence of the one who is repeatedly asking us, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So this morning we must we must ask ourselves, are we children with any desire to live in that presence? To listen to God's voice, to touch the living, breathing Christ and to taste fully of God's infinite goodness. Do we want that? Do you love me, he says. This question should resonate through our hearts in every moment of our lives. It should keep us awake at night. It should follow us to work, on vacation, and into school. I would wager that there are a number of people who have heard this question and have heard these words as they pass from this world to the next world. And they hear them probably because they've never stopped to answer it. Do you love me? And please do not be like Peter. Do not become upset that this is a repeated question. Do not think too highly of yourself because it's not a one-time deal. 
This is a question that even I continue to hear and struggle with every single day. Because as we encounter a world that needs to be fed with spiritual food, a world with sheep who have gone astray, a world full of people who are cold, wet, tired, hungry, disappointed, angry, and hurting, Jesus speaks to us through them, repeatedly asking, Do you love me? The homeless men and women who walk our streets, who sit in the park and stand at stoplights, hold up signs that say, Do you love me? We learned that this past Wednesday at the IRC presentation that there are refugees waiting for approval to bring their children and families to safety who sit in these tent camps for generations. And they are shouting to the world, do you love me? People of color who have been systematically oppressed and imprisoned, whose children are being murdered by the people who are supposed to protect them, are crying, do you love me? Homosexuals and other members of the LGBTQ community who are viewed as deviants, perverted and sinful, who are victims of legal discrimination by not only our governments, but by the global United Methodist Church, wonder aloud, do you love me? Immigrants looking to make a better life for themselves. Many of them are children who are sent or brought here by their parents, are held in detention centers and denied an opportunity to succeed. Their families are broken apart and they live in an almost perpetual state of fear. They too repeat Christ's question to us. Do you love me? The list goes on. Veterans. Abused women, Muslims, the physically and mentally disabled, they are all here in this handy booklet from our Maundy Thursday service that we had. It was beautifully written out by our senior pastor, Al Horton. Please pick one of these up as you leave. They are around the church. Take it home and read it and ask yourself all the while, do I love Jesus? Do you love me, Jesus asks. And if we find ourselves, like Peter, with an affirmative answer to this question, then we, also like Peter, must be prepared to go somewhere that we may not want to go. Jesus said to Peter, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. This is not about growing physically older. This is Jesus talking about spiritual maturity. And after all of this, Jesus said to Peter, he said it again, follow me. We must be willing to follow Jesus. We must be willing to be led to the margins of society, to where Jesus went, to where John Wesley went, 
to the hurting, dangerous, and broken places of this world to join in God's mission of forgiveness, reconciliation, and transformation. John Swinton, a prominent pastoral theologian, provides a helpful closing image for this morning. He writes, The religious leaders didn't realize that Jesus had moved the margins to a totally different place. Those who thought they knew God continued to assume this to be the case. But God was with a totally different group of people, doing something quite different, offering friendship and acceptance and revealing the kingdom in and through that friendship. Jesus offered no technique or expertise. He simply gifted his time, presence, space, patience, and friendship. He befriended the tax collectors and sinners. He befriended the prostitute, the stranger, and the stigmatized. He offered relational space and time to people for whom the world and the church had no time. In and through his friendships, he gave people back their names. Indeed, like Simon Peter, he gave them new names. I no longer call you servants, he said. But now I call you friends. This morning, we, like these first disciples, have the opportunity to eat a breakfast prepared by Jesus. It is the most important meal we will eat today because at this table, we have the opportunity to clarify our standing with the risen, living, and reconciling Christ. Having no fish for this meal, we bring our broken but willing spirits to the table and we offer them to Christ and one another. There is grace at this table. There is peace, love, mercy, acceptance, patience, and friendship at this table. And that is why it is open to everyone and to be shared with everyone. So as we come to the table this morning, I implore you, listen to the invitation. Visualize the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Take ownership of your calling to carry out the mission of the church, to feed and care for every single sheep. Assume the role of the shepherd. And hear again the voice of Jesus asking, Do you love me? Amen.